Welcome to this edition of the Positive Populist podcast. My guest today is Katrina Pearson. Katrina um, and I have known each other a little bit. Um, she's been a guest on The Next Revolution a few times, which we've loved. So I'm going to try and get the... Your title's changed since the um, <laughs> since we first met each other. I'm going to try and get this right. Senior advisor to the Trump 2020 campaign. Yes, that's correct. Okay, perfect. So let me start with the classic question of this podcast. Katrina Pearson, are you a positive populist? Well, Steve, thank you so much for having me um, on your show. And the answer to your question is yes, I am an extreme positive populist, mainly because we have an amazing president uh-huh. who is pushing very positive popular ideas. And I, I'm confident that we'll be successful. So what does it mean to you when, when you hear that? Because that word populist um, it means so many different things. You know, one of the things I try try and do with this podcast and and the show on Fox News Channel um, is try and define it a bit. You know, like what what is it really all about? Um, some people use it as an insult. They're always oh, popular. Right. You know, look at populism. Look at all these authoritarian leaders around the world. Trump. You know, Viktor Orban in Hungary, whatever. And then others yeah. see it as a really you know positive thing. And certainly I do. What does it mean to you when you when you think about that word, which has been very much a label that was applied to Donald Trump from the campaign that you worked on? Almost? Oh, oh, absolutely. And you know, it really depends on where you are in the world mm-hmm. on if it's a positive or a negative term. And, and here in the United States, um, you could say that the Tea Party movement was a populist movement. Right. Um, I was very Great much point. a part of that original grassroots swell uh-huh. back in 2008. And so to me, it's just that next level of activism, if you will, to get the federal government back on track, because every American is really upset with the IRS. Um, try dealing with a government employee when you're trying to get something done, but you have all these other things that you have to do. We yeah. would really like to put government back into its constitutional box so that it's more effective and efficient for just the average person. And that is a very popular idea. I totally agree. And it's a big theme of of, of one that I've tried to pursue all the time. You know, when I've been working in politics with government back in the UK and things I write about is that, you know, taking on that over-centralized power that gets in the hand hands of government and ends up, even if they mean well, it ends up kind of really taking away from individual people and their communities and so on. I'd let, tell us some more about the... Um, the Tea Party experience. That's really interesting because I was going to ask you, how did you get into it and how did how did this all start? <laughs> and and then you immediately made that connection with the Tea Party, which is a great point. So what was your introduction to that? How did that happen? Well, I think, you know, my involvement in politics altogether, like so many at this point, millions of mm-hmm. people uh, really felt helpless and a little hopeless during the 2008 primary slash election, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because we, meaning myself and so many others, we weren't recognizing our country uh-huh. anymore. We didn't really feel at home anymore. And we're, you know, you're constantly being bashed, you know, whether it's by a politician on both sides, by yeah. the way, or even just the media of telling you that America is bad and you don't deserve the stuff that you have and other people should have what you have, even if they don't work for it. And so I think a lot of people felt very hopeless and helpless. And so when this movement came along after Rick Santelli's rent uh, on the Wall Street floor about tea parties and, and yes. coming together and having this movement, there really was an organic groundswell of people who mm-hmm. thought, well, that's the way I think. But you never really know how many people agree with you, especially if you're not involved in politics, because that's just not something the average person talks about. Mm. Um, but that changed the game, because once the Tea Party people started getting together on Facebook and on the Internet and holding these meetups and, you know, 
eventually rallies, yes. you started to realize that it wasn't just you or your small group of friends. It was millions of people. And that was more empowering and inspiring to continue the movement. And here we are today. So, t- so what were you doing when that all happened? Uh, well, my previous life, I worked in healthcare. Okay. Uh, my degree is in science. I worked in healthcare for 14 years. And I was actually an operations administrator at Baylor University Medical Center running the neuroscience uh-huh. uh, program. And so it's it's interesting to go from that to what I'm doing now. Uh, I never saw this coming, but it just goes to show you that uh, you sometimes your plan That's really amazing. isn't God's so plan. So you're in a management role, yes. or n- not a medical role. Is right, that right, correct. Okay, Administrative. Mm-hmm. And how did you get into that? What That's like... Uh, just it's so interesting. I'd never sort of thought of you in in that context. What, how did, well, how most did that... people don't know the previous lives. That's right. Everything is so intense yeah. uh, in politics, and everything is so serious because a lot is on the line. Um, but my original track was medical school, uh-huh. and I started answering phones at a doctor's office and worked my way all the way through administration. Um, but what was key for me during that time period? Wait to get to medical school. Yes. So I started working in a doctor's office because I figured if I'm going to go to medical school, I should probably figure out how things work in doctor's offices. Yeah, by the way, not everyone <laughs> makes that very practical, no, rational connection. Don't. But I did. And it, it changed everything for me because so I you experienced were, you were, so the your healthcare background, changes. Just be, so, mm-hmm. so I just I'm getting a sense of your background. So it wasn't like a academic um, kind of professionalized background where you're on a sort of track to go to medical school. There's something... That you I mean, wanted to pursue? It was. I mean, I was pursuing medical school. Mm-hmm. I had an associate's degree in pre-med, and then mm-hmm. I graduated with a bachelor's in biology, mm-hmm. and I was working and putting myself through school. Single mom, so I was wow. nickel and diming it, you know, schools on Tuesdays and Thursdays, job sharing when I got to my upper-level classes, and that was the track until, Steve, there were some changes in healthcare that started yeah. to happen that I wasn't sort of happy about and a lot of the physicians in my office would tell me to reconsider they'd Uh say no don't go to medical school go get your mba and i saw some very serious changes once the hospitalist programs were put into place and then you hear all this talk about universal health care and i stayed on the administrative side that's so interesting i mean there's so much in there i'm I'm so fascinated (laughs) by but not least that story of working and being a single you know you really relate to the people I'm going right up to date now with with President Trump exactly. and his campaign and who he's speaking for. Sounds like you you were absolutely there. Well, not only was I there, um, but the president will tell you I was the first one to tell him before he even made a decision to run mm-hmm. that if he ran, he'd win. It was because I knew that there were so many people like myself by this time. I had mm-hmm. traveled to 20 different states with grassroots people hearing mm-hmm. the same thing, people who've never met, but they're saying the exact same thing. They just want to be left alone. Yeah. They want to work. They want to take care of their families. They want to send their kids to college, and they want to be safe. Uh, this is an instrumental right in America. Yes. And so I knew he was going to win because I came from that. So how do, what, well, let's just talk about the, sort of the transition from one to the other. So you, you, you hear about the Tea Party. How? I mean, literally, was it on Facebook and you just heard, heard this thing? It was Rush Limbaugh, actually. Okay. I was listening to Rush Limbaugh and I was so frustrated. I was not happy with any candidate that was running. Um, when John McCain chose Sarah Palin, I felt a little bit better yeah. about the options. I had never been involved in politics before. But when Rush Limbaugh mentioned Rick Santelli's rant, uh-huh. I went and Google searched it and I found uh-huh. it on YouTube. This is before Twitter was all exciting yes. and everything. And 
there were tea parties popping up. And at first, when Rush Limbaugh said, don't worry, there are tea parties popping up everywhere, I was thinking, tea parties. Literally tea. That's you know? so, Yeah, yeah. And when I saw that there was one in my neighborhood in Dallas County, uh-huh. I said, I'm going to join this Facebook group. And okay. sure enough, there were people who were saying all the things that I was thinking. I went to one meeting. Yeah. And they asked me to uh, to speak at this event, which happened to be Tax Day event, okay. 2009. I had never given a public speech before, and I agreed to do it. I still don't know why I agreed to do it. I had nothing to say. I had you know no political history, no knowledge base for that. Um, and then one of the organizers called and said, well, what are you going to say? Because they didn't know who I was uh-huh. either. And I said, I have no idea. And he says, oh, just tell your story. And I said, that I can do. <laughs> So I cannot believe it, but this is where history was made for me. I gave my story that day, uh, 2009, Tax Day Dallas. Mm-hmm. 7,000 people showed up. I was expecting 7, a couple of hundred. Yes, wow. I was shocked. I almost where, ran. What was the venue? What, tell us Downtown the- Dallas, City uh-huh. Hall. Okay. I was told there might be three to 500 people. Yeah. I showed up and there were 7,000 people. You could not see the end of people through the skyscrapers. Wow. It was wow. fascinating, terrifying. Of course, I was going to say, if you've never done it before. <laughs> Never. And, you know, the next morning I woke up and I had tons of missed messages on my phone. My Facebook had thousands of mm-hmm. messages in my inbox and it was very strange. So I started looking through these messages and I found out mm-hmm. that Senator Fred Thompson, oh yeah, during his radio program the following morning, talked about the 2000 speeches that were given on tax day. Right. And he said that Katrina Pearson in Dallas gave the best speech out of all of them. Wow. And he labeled me the tea party darling. Oh, wow. That's so, so media interesting. Was calling and radio okay. and newspaper. So and that's how it we began. moved here in, uh, you know, much, you know, 2012. So I, this is before my time. So that is oh, particularly yeah. fascinating mm-hmm. for me. That's amazing. So that tells them what happened then. So then the Dallas Tea Party group asked me to join their board. Okay. And I did. And we put on the largest uh, Tea Party rally. at the. We did South Fork Ranch where they filmed oh, Dallas. Yes, yeah. 34,000 people showed up. We had Michelle Malkin come that speak. That is huge. The biggest ever. Wow. So yeah. you know this whole phenomenon of the, you know, the again, more recently, the Trump rallies and the thousands of people. You saw that then. I did. Um, it, it And that was really eye-opening to me. And, mm. and that just sort of snowballed. After that event, Fox News started calling. Okay. And I did Fox and Friends for the first time. Right. And then they just kept calling. Uh-huh. And then other media outlets kept calling. And then all my local networks kept calling. And then my local network gave me an opinion commentary. And it just went from there. So on TV? On TV. So at this point, are you still working in the healthcare? You you, you still got your still, job? Still, yes. Still right. working at the hospital, high intensity, mm-hmm. um, neuroscience, you know, it's no joke. So, and by the way, how did that fit in terms of you now being out there in the ter- in, with a very pretty strong political point of view? Well, I was very careful. Mm-hmm. Um, no one really said anything to me on my personal time if I'm doing something or volunteering. Um, I would schedule my lunch breaks around TV interviews. The news crew would come downtown. Oh, my gosh. We'd stand outside. I'd give my opinion. Then I'd go back up to my office. Um, but to your point... There was a time period where I had to make a transition Mm -hmm. because work started to interfere with my volunteer time. Mm -hmm. And I did. I had to make a decision. And um, it was it was really tough, you know, Mm -hmm. being a single mom, having a mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, He my son only had me to depend on. So it's not like I could have at that point. Oh, goodness. 
probably 15, 14. Right. Oh, they need your time then. Oh, absolutely. Like that's a, it's, it's, it's interesting. I and mean, they like, need a house to live in too. Oh, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's right. More than anything. So it was very nerve wracking to, to, how could I leave what I've built after 14 years? Yeah. And yeah. just blindly jump into this realm that I've never been in. But it truly was a calling for me because I couldn't walk away from it. So just financially, what was the, I mean, what was the, you, you have a full-time job and you leave and take on a paid, a full-time role or how did that happen? So it was, it was a weird transition um, because what ultimately happened, and this is why when you answer the call, mm. things sort of fall into place. Mm-hmm. I, I was on Fox News one morning, and um, there was this uh, this this gentleman who owned a software company saw me, mm-hmm. and offered me a job. Wow. Didn't look at my resume, and he said to me, "You remind me a lot of my mom. <laughs> uh, I want you to run this company." What? Yeah, just like that. And I thought it was weird. Yeah. But again, I was in this I was in this this calling, this feeling yes. of having to do something. I couldn't yeah. sit on my couch anymore. I had to be out there and fighting and. And so I said, great. It turned out that he had built this 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 uh, software infrastructure mm-hmm. to monitor congressional votes. It was exactly what I needed to make the transition. So I did that oh, for a year so in between. Brilliant. So software. So when you said that, I thought you were going to say, oh, it's a, you know another uh, sort of unrelated right. mm-hmm. job to your political, but but actually turns out that it wasn't completely connected. That's yeah. brilliant. So that was a great transition. And did you have year. to move? Was that in Dallas or what? I did not have to move, which again, it's it all just worked brilliantly. Mm-hmm. It was completely divine. Um, I worked out of my house in Texas. So then not only was I working every day, but I was at home working oh every God. day <laughs> so I could be with my son. Right. So that was fascinating. And when that ended um, a year later, he says, you shouldn't be working for anybody. You need to start your own company. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying also. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I think you're right. And that's what I did. Okay. I started my own communications firm. Great. And then, and did you, I've, I've been there, I've done that. And that is very frightening. When you, on that first day, when you, I mean, was, what, did you have a client? How did, how was that? So I was still very much involved in our local politics. Mm-hmm. So there were some state representatives that I was, you know, stipping my, again, brand new to this yeah. whole thing. Um, so there, there were some local races that I was sort of trying to get my feet wet in. I had already learned so much after Ted Cruz's Senate campaign. Yeah. Um, and but was that by the way again because I wasn't here was that seen as a real Tea Party driven? It was absolutely. Campaign. Yeah. It was absolutely a Tea Party driven mm-hmm. campaign, national Tea Party campaign mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so that was also another way for me to sort of navigate mm-hmm. things politically. Uh, but I found out that my strength was just being myself. Yeah. And I used to joke with an ex-boyfriend of mine who told me once I was too opinionated. <laughs> and uh, we had met up a few years after that. And I said, turns out there's a market for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah. And then, you know, the rest is history. It was I started to get more clients and then Donald Trump became my client. So when that, we got to get into that. So mm-hmm. when did that exactly happen? Just really specifically, what was the... So I helped so many Tea Party organizations all over the country during this time period Mm -hmm. uh, in my activism. And I sat on the board of the South Carolina Tea Party Mm -hmm. uh, convention, spoke at their first one um, and and really gave them a lot of input over time. And then the second year they had it, um, I was there. And again, you know, Ted Cruz was now running for president and I had never met Donald Trump before. But he was speaking during the Saturday event. Okay. What year are we now? This is 2015. Right. 
So has he got? Has he announced? No, yet? he no, has not announced. No. There's been rumors, right? Because you know there've been rumors throughout the yeah, years. Yeah. So these rumors were surfacing again towards the end of 2014. That's right. I remember that. About the, yep. the presidential hopefuls and who's talking about it. And then you remember Obama was talking about Donald Trump will never be president. That's right. Yeah. So this is after all of that. Yeah. And so I went up to him. I just walked straight up to him and I said, Mr. Trump, now I heard you might be running for president. And he said, well, you know, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. And I said, oh, Mr. Trump, I said, you have to run. <laughs> I said, you're the only one that can win. And he says, you think so? And I said, oh, I know so. And I told him, I was like, everybody knows I'm a cruise girl. I said, but if you get in this race, I will back you 100%. Wow. I said, you're going to win and I'm going to help you. That's amazing. That's a good pitch. Yeah. I can see why he went for that. Yeah. And, and you know, it was just a few months. And that same day, though, this is the important part, Steve. I went to Ted Cruz the same day. Yeah. And I said, hey, guys, I just told Donald Trump that if he runs, I'm on his team. <laughs> <laughs> did that they did exactly what you just did. Right. They left. Because no one was taking Donald Trump seriously. I, I remember that. I remember that, you know, because I was just picking up what I read and saw and everything. I remember really clearly I was here... Yeah, about that time, some friends from England came over and we were in Chicago. I remember that because then he's got the building there with Trump on the building and his name came up. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about Trump and they said, oh, is, is he really going to do it? And I said, I don't know. I'm just reading stuff. It seems like the whole thing is, I don't know. People say it's just some kind of publicity stunt mm -hmm. to get his name up. I don't know. It was completely dismissed, wasn't it? It was. It was, it was absolutely dismissed. But I knew that day he was going to run. I even told uh, Team Cruz, they mm -hmm. said, oh, he's not going to run. I said, so you know, did, I think he is. So then how did that translate from that moment into actually working for him? Well, I saw him a couple of times because he was going to the events in Iowa mm -hmm. and South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I had run into him on a couple of those events, um, some of the freedom events and faith events. And I, every time I'd see him, he'd look at me and I could tell he was recalling what I was saying to him. Yeah. And... You know, it wasn't until June when he took that famous escalator ride. Yes. So now we're six months after this discussion. Yeah. And that night, I think I might have been meeting Megan Kelly when I went right. on after he made right. that announcement. And I was 100% in. He's won. We have a new president. It's Donald Trump. So I first, <laughs> that's when I first saw you on when I, you and you were on Megan Kelly's show oh, a lot. Mm -hmm. Um and I must have seen that myself. I'm, I'm sure. And I'm just trying to remember. So at that point, you, you weren't working for him. I was not. So you were just a supporter. You yes. were you positioned as a Trump supporter. That's right. right. So I was a Trump surrogate at Trump the time. Trump surrogate. Got it. Okay. Very, very big supporter. And then at some, at one point, you definitely, you, I think your title was the uh, national spokesman, wasn't it? For the Trump yes, campaign. Yes, that came a few months later. Um, right. I was at an event in Atlanta with the Heritage Action mm -hmm. uh, Group. And I had to phone in to CNN because I don't remember exactly what had happened, but Donald Trump, maybe it was he filed his paperwork or something, right. something they said he wouldn't do. And so CNN calls and they said, can you come on air? I said, I'm at an event. They said, can you call? So I left the event. I made the call. Yeah. And I was just all in for Trump. He's going to win. He's done. It's <laughs> over. Everybody just needs to go home. And by the time I got back downstairs, he called me. Oh, my gosh. And I get this phone call and they said, can you hold for Mr. Trump? I mean, what do you say? Of course. Yeah. So he's on the phone with me for 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. And he's saying, thank you so much. I just saw, you know, what you said on CNN. I appreciate it. He was very thankful, very kind and very gracious. And by the time I hung up the phone, I thought to myself, I've been doing this for years for yeah. many politicians yeah. and not one has ever called to say thank you. 
Wow. So I knew so that he was a different a really, kind of candidate. Really, again, that's such a good story because it's such a side of him. Yes. That, that you don't ever get. Never. People just don't talk about that. No, they don't. And he eventually asked me if, if anything, I was wedded he said, to oh, Texas. Oh, he's a monster. You know, he can't be treated treat people mean, terribly. Mean, angry, treats doesn't women, like women. Women, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and I'm a black woman. Right. So, you know, that's why they pretend like I don't exist. Because then they have to acknowledge that he's not a racist or a sexist. And yes. they just can't do that. He's the most kind, warm, gentle, caring person um, that I've ever met in politics. So I've heard that from a number of people who know him. And... I, you know, I don't know him, so I'm, I can't judge. What I'd love you to just do, how do you think about that? In that you see all these books that are written mm-hmm. um, about how, and I think there's probably more coming out. You know, people love, you know, d- dishing the dirt and so on. And one of the themes that comes out, also some of the reporting that you see from inside the White House and stuff, um, that he's got this terrible temper, he <laughs> yells and screams. and Now, my interpretation of that is you know literally not knowing him never having met him is well to be fair when you've got so many people around him you know trying to block what he's trying to do whether it's the bureaucracy or these people in the administration who i've called out on the show on fox saying you know like trying to kind of you know undo what he's trying to do or stop him from doing it it's no surprise that he, he kind of loses his temper every now and again so i try and explain it that way but is that wrong is he actually do you think that actually he's really not like that he's generally quite even keeled and kind to people as he obviously has yeah, been to you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are times when you get frustrated or upset. That's a human component, right? Um, but I do think it's overblown. I mean, there were times when, you know, you would I would leave my place in D.C. hearing on the news that, oh, Donald Trump is at it again. He's lost his temper. He's mm-hmm. losing it. There's a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to the White House mm-hmm. and everything's fine. He's having right. a Diet Coke at his desk. There's no sky falling. And so it's definitely a caricature that they continue to Mm -hmm. try to Mm -hmm. build around him. But in reality, he is not like that. He is soft spoken and he would give you the shirt off of his back. He wants to make sure Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're always comfortable. You have everything that you need. It's like when I when he asked me to work for him. Yeah. Here I was. So was that after that CNN thing? Was it? Yes. He called and said, that was great. Thank you. And he thanked you. And that was unusual. It was very unusual. But he kept calling. Right. And he said to me, you know, my own people don't fight for me like you do, right. you know, and but there weren't very many people at the time. Yeah. And so finally he said, are you wedded to Texas? And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, oh, maybe he wants to help me to help in the SEC states. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I want you to represent my whole campaign. Wow. And I said, in my head, I'm thinking me. <laughs> <laughs> Why me? And I said, of course, you know, when, when a- Donald Trump asked you to, you know, to come work for me, what do you say? I said, yes. And. Um, I I was the one person that I knew Mm -hmm. could fight the media and the left, unlike any other Republican would. And then, so then you're the national spokesman and then you're, you know, you're on TV the whole time. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that experience a bit because you got so much, I I thought, I agree. I thought you did an absolutely brilliant job. I was just watching you and before I had anything to do with Fox and being, being and having my own show or anything like that. I watched you as a viewer and thought, wow, this person is just an incredible, really good advocate. Oh, thank you. And, um, but you also got a lot of grief from people. I mean, oh, just wow. the fact that yeah. you're a woman Africa, you know, all those seem to enrage people. So how did that feel when you, I mean, when, when did you start sort of, did you see the hostility and criticism? When did that start really happening? It's not only, you know, could you see it, you could feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, now you have to remember, I had been doing political commentary mm-hmm. on across all networks for about six years mm-hmm. prior to that. Mm-hmm. So I had relationships with these anchors. 
Right. CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. Yeah. Six years. Yeah. I'd been doing all networks. And there was an attitude shift. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have pictures of Don Lemon and I outside of his office taking selfies. Right. And now I'll probably never do his show again. Right. Um, so it was very visceral. And I'll tell you why. It wasn't because, you know, I was an effective you know, debater, as some would say, it was because I was changing the minds of their viewers. Right. Right. They didn't see it as a debate because they didn't want to hear what I really had to say. Um, but it was because they could tell that I was changing the minds of their viewers. And I know that to be true because I would get the emails mm-hmm. or the tweets after every interview mm-hmm. of people saying, I never thought of it that way or I didn't even know that, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and that's really that's what it was. And what about the personal attacks? Mm hmm. How do you, what's your strategy for handling that? Um, I mean, that's a great question. I, I mentor a lot of young people now. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I tell them, first and foremost, is never read the comments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you just can't read the comments. Um, <clears throat> no matter how strong you are, no matter how thick your skin is, if you're reading comments daily, mm-hmm. it will tear you down. Comments where? on Anywhere. Social media. On posts, on, yeah, anywhere mm-hmm. online. <laughs> right. Um, the internet can be the devil in that case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just can't read the comments. A lot of, especially younger people don't know. Some people are paid to just be nasty to you. Mm-hmm. And it's a design. It, it's it's a it's an Alinsky tactic. You right. know, they just try to psychologically break you down, make you doubt yourself, mm-hmm. just to shut you up and make you go away. Um, so you just can't read the comments. And I, I wish I had learned that sooner rather than later. Right. Um, but that's how I deal with it now, because the attacks were getting very personal. Mm-hmm. And when, and so there was a time when you did read and then you stopped. Yeah, I read earlier, early on, um, before there was this shift. You know, yeah. I can handle the back and forth stuff, but some people were just nasty, crazy nasty. Yeah, I, I noticed it. Just, just stupid things like when I, you know, like when we have guests on on my show and we promote the guests who are on the show. And it's just there's something really striking about the kind of abuse that that female mm-hmm. pro-Trump that's right commentators get. Um, it's 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 really sort of it's so shocking. I can't you know believe it. Tommy Lawrence one. Oh I, yeah, I, you know, I can imagine really she would get horrible. a ton of of horrible yeah horrible comments out there, and, and it can be scary. That's another reason why I tell people don't read the comments because you shouldn't be afraid to, you know, leave your house. It, and it's all designed to that. It's it's online right. terrorism. It's intimidation. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's intimidation. Yeah. It's it's terrorism. You get death threats online. Yeah. That's purposely to, to put you in the state of fear. And you just, you have to ignore that. And a lot of people can't handle it. Yeah. Well, you certainly can. What, let's just look forward a little bit in a few minutes we have left. What's your, um, what are you, what are you sort of looking forward to in the campaign that's about to come? I'm looking forward to, uh, the, the 2020 election, I think, is going to be very exciting. It's going to be tough because we're going to have to deal with the media stuff all over again. Right. Um, it's going what to do you be, mean when you say the media stuff? What do you mean by that? Just dealing with all the fake news. Okay. I mean, all of the fake news and, and all of the bias. And it's so obvious now in the public. And now you have Twitter and Facebook and all of them changing their algorithms and censoring conservatives. Mm-hmm. And so the message is going to be, you know, 10 times harder to get out. Uh, but I think most people are aware of it. But I also believe, Steve, that this this notion of populism, mm-hmm. I believe, is growing. We can see that in the Latino polling numbers. We yeah. can see that in the African-American polling numbers. Um, the president has only put a dent in his agenda 
So by the time we do get to 2020, I just wonder what the Democrat platform is going to look like, because mm-hmm. right now it has nothing to do with Americans. And what about the, the kind of different aspects of the campaign, you know, like the, the physical aspects in terms of, I don't know, the, the rallies versus TV. So, you know, how do you you've, you've been through it all? I mean, mm-hmm. how do you view those different elements of the, of a campaign? The rallies are the best. Right. Um, I think I said earlier, 34,000. That was a Trump rally. The rally at the Tea Party was 17,000. Okay. Um, So uh, the rallies are definitely the best. It is the most effective way for people to to see him in person. And I tell everyone, if you ever have a chance to go to a Trump rally, you have to go to at least one because you can feel it. Yes. You're in the presence of something when you're at these rallies. And he's able to speak directly to the American people right over the heads of the media. So completely unfiltered. And those are by far the most effective. I read there was a really insightful piece about the rallies, um, not by a a Trump fan at all. I think it was in the New Yorker, one of those publications, maybe in Vanity Fair, one of those two long piece specifically about the rallies. And, you know, a journalist who was pretty pretty hostile, actually, to, Mm -hmm. to, to the president. But he made a really smart point about the rallies. He said that up until Donald Trump. Politicians would have these events and, you know, sometimes they'd have as many people as Donald Trump, sometimes smaller, but, you know, hundreds, thousands of people. And the typical way of doing it is that the politician would go up there and they'd actually be speaking to the cameras. They'd actually be delivering the message to the, you know, whoever whoever they, they had in their mind as the sort of, you know, audience for their whole campaign. And the people in front of them in the room were backdrops. They really were props. They were there to provide a crowd and the sense of a... Uh, you know, a popular politician. Donald Trump, for the first time, he really was talking to those people in the room. Yeah, well, that's he was. who he really was trying to communicate with, and they feel that, and they that's do. where that connection and that authenticity comes from. I thought it was a really smart point. Well, when he says that he has a big heart and he loves people, he means that. I mean, if you look back at some of the presidential debates. After the debate, if you watch the footage, you'll see the the seasoned politicians and the veterans patting themselves on the back and shaking hands. Yeah. But then you'll see Donald Trump disappear from the stage and he walks right out to the people. Yeah. And he's signing things and taking selfies because that's where he wants to be with the people. And that translates in everything that he does. Yeah. And that's, again, another really, you know, important point that um, I think, you know, that line in his uh, nomination speech, or you call it the acceptance speech in the convention. He says, I will be your voice. Mm-hmm. So that is so profound, actually. That's, that is what it's all about. Imagine that, an American politician right. being the voice of the people. It's only how we started. I know. Um, so, and that's the, the genius of Donald Trump, too. And if you look at anything that he said even back in the 80s with regards to a lot of the domestic policies yeah. and even foreign policies, it's pretty much the same. So this is something that I know is ingrained in him, and it's also why they can't shake him from some of these policies, because he's he's a true believer yeah. in a lot of it. And I do believe that this political process of the 2016 campaign has really driven a lot of it home, mm-hmm. because he's been able to touch a lot of the lives mm-hmm. that these policies are being impacted by. Yeah. Well, look, Katrina... Um, he may be the people's voice, but you are a brilliant spokesman for him. Oh, thank you. As well. And it's just been such a great pleasure to hear how all that happened. <laughs> really, really fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.